0: Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator.
1: we ask for your spirit to just open our hearts to open our minds lord we ask you lord that you would speak that you would allow us to get out of the way lord god that you would impart in us and deposit in us the living breathing word of god father that it would come that it would take root in us and that it would grow and grow and grow and change us in jesus name amen Amen. Please welcome our associate, Pastor Gary. Amen. If you can turn in your Bible to Psalm 55, starting in verse 1. It says, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy at the stairs of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. See, the Bible deals with real issues real everyday nuts and bolts issues and the Bible is very honest it doesn't it doesn't give you a lot of fluff a lot of sweet kind of stuff but it deals with the real matters of the heart and and what does it say it says that there are destructive forces at work in the city malice and abuse are within it and there are many people in the church that have, that have been deeply wounded, deeply hurt, deeply abused in their lives. And, and what does it say? Not only by those people out there, but it says those who, who might have been close to you maybe a companion or a close friend, or maybe it's a parent or an ex husband or wife or a boyfriend. Whatever it is, many of you have been wounded in your life, and the Bible deals with that, and there's healing. There's healing from the past. There's healing for your hurts. There's healing for everything that you've suffered. So I'm going to turn to a scripture right now that maybe you've never heard it uh, read in church before. But I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And this is a story about sexual abuse. See, the Bible doesn't leave, it, leave that stuff out. And, and I think it's important to get to the real issues, to be honest, to take a clear look at the things that happen in the lives of the people of God because there's freedom for you. There, there's liberty for you. Everything that's holding you back, you, you can be set free in the name of Jesus. And, and this is a story about the children of King David. He had a son and a daughter. And, and they were brothers and sisters. So I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 13, starting in verse 10. Now the, the, the brother's name is Amnon... And the girl's name is Tamar. So starting in verse 10, Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister don't my brother she said to him don't force me such a thing should not be done in israel don't do this wicked thing what about me where could i get rid of my disgrace and what about you you would be like one of the wicked fools in israel i'm going i'm going to go down now to um verse 14 But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of here, and bolted the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing a richly ornamented robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornamented robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Uh, now, this is a story, as I said, about sexual abuse, and the Bible doesn't choose to leave it out. The, the, the Bible wants to deal with these issues because these are real issues that that many people in the churches are facing. So, so God wants us to be honest and, have a, a, and look at it soberly, in a mature way. And here was this woman, Tamar, the child of the king, who was sexually abused by her brother. And what does the Bible say? She was wearing a beautiful robe, an ornamented robe of many colors. That was the kind of robe that a child of the king would wear. It represented purity. It represented innocence. It represented her inheritance as a child of the king. See, there was a great future for her. She was going to live in the palace. She had great favor and wealth. And it was all lost in this one instant. And she took the robe representing the purity and innocence and, and her royalty. And she ripped it up as a sign of what had happened to her inside. And then the Bible says, and she became desolate. What does that mean she became desolate? She locked up her emotions. She lost her joy. She lost her destiny. And she just lived in that house. She lived the rest of her life in bondage because of that thing that happened to her, because of the shame, because of the hurt. But you know what? As a child of God, if you've gone through abuse, whether and there's many different forms of abuse, But if you're a child of God, you don't have to be desolate. Maybe your emotions are all been cold and locked up. Maybe you've never been able to step into your destiny, the things that God has for you because of the past, because of the abuses. But there's freedom. If you're desolate today in any area of your life, you don't have to stay that way. It could be in your professional life, in your spiritual life. Maybe your relationships. Maybe you live in defeat in your relationships because of what you suffered. We're going to break that off in Jesus' name. And and you can live in true freedom. They said there's other forms of abuse. There's spiritual abuse where the people of God a lot of times will take the very word of God and wound each other with it. Say, it was all your fault. Maybe people in church have hurt you, have wounded you. Maybe a pastor refused to recognize your gifts and cut you off, wounded your heart. There's emotional abuse. Physical abuse. Whatever it is, the Bible teaches that that abuse will steal steal from you. It will rob from you. It will keep you back. But we thank God for the blood of Jesus, that Jesus died for us. And the Bible says when he died, his blood had the power that we need to be free. Whatever happened to you, no matter how bad it was, and some of you have been devastated. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have had people very close to you misuse you. But the blood of Jesus is greater. The power of God is greater than every hurt, than every abuse, than any any emotion. Because I want to talk about what happens to us as a result of abuse. The primary thing that happens is you make wrong decisions about your life. And, you ha- and, and you're using wrong images. L- let me tell you some of the decisions you might have made when you were young. I'll never trust a man. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. It must have been my fault. It's not safe to love anyone. Nothing good will ever happen to me. It's all my fault. We make decisions about life. And here's the problem. As a result of these decisions, we go out and we build relationships based on them. So, for example, if you made a decision in your life that it's not safe to trust a man, it's not safe to trust a woman, let me tell you what you go out and do you go out and you find a man or a woman that's not trustworthy. If, if you made a decision it's not safe to love anyone, you'll go out and find a man or a woman that it's not safe to love, and then maybe that won't work out, maybe that'll break off, and guess what you do? Then you go out and you find another relationship with the same result. They call that in psychology, re-victimization. I, I can relate to that in, in my professional life. Going from job to job with a, with a boss that was abusive. And I said, I'll never work for that kind of a boss again until I get to the next job and come under another abusive situation. There's patterns formed. And many times it's because of the decisions that you've made. You've made decisions and now you're going to go out and validate them. Or maybe that's all you knew. All you've known is someone that mistreats you, and that's what you feel comfortable with. And now you go out and find people that will mistreat you. People who don't value you. See, that's not God. God has better for you. God has victory for you in that area. As a result of abuse, a lot of a lot of us can walk in bitterness and anger and, and hatred. And there's nothing that will keep you back more. There's nothing that will take your destiny away more than if you walk in bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. We, we need to release that to the Lord. Even, even, even medical science shows that most of the sicknesses and illnesses... A cause because of unforgiveness, because of people holding in anger against someone. The Bible says we need to forgive, even those who despitefully used you. Even those who deeply betrayed you and wounded you. And when we forgive, it doesn't validate them. It doesn't say that it's okay with what they did to you. But here's what it does. When you forgive the person... You release them into the Lord's hand to deal with them. See, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We need to release forgiveness. I, I just want to do that right now. I had this schedule to do it at the end, but I, I just want to do it right now. I'm just, I'm just going to ask, just between you and God right now, let God reveal to you who you need to forgive today. People that you need to release. Because it will kill your emotions. It will kill your relationships. It will stand between your relationship with between you and God when we hold on to unforgiveness. But when you forgive, it releases the hand of God to work in your situation. So let's just take just the next two or three minutes. Just allow the Lord to reveal to you people you need to forgive. Maybe it's a mother, a father, an ex-wife, an ex-boyfriend. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's church people who judged you and hurt you and wounded you. Maybe it's a father who abandoned you. I, I've had to forgive many times. So just, just, this is just between you and God right now. I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody any names. But I, I want you to walk in freedom. I believe that King David's daughter didn't have to be desolate her whole life, but she couldn't get over that bitterness. So just between you and God, ju- just let him reveal that to you. Amen. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And I don't, I don't want anyone else to hear the name of the person. So when we get to that part, I just want you to speak that name into, into your hand and just release them to the Lord. Maybe it's something happened recently. People lied about you, deceived you. They turned on you, betrayed you. We want to release them today. I want you to walk out of here free. I don't want anything to rob the things that God has for you. There's great destiny in you. And I believe that you're going to leave here today totally free. So just repeat this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive. Now, just say that name into your hand or or, all those names and just release them to the Lord. There's people you need to forgive. Just release them to the Lord. You're giving them a free gift that they don't deserve. But Father, we just release, we release forgiveness to all those names in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Father, we choose to forgive today in Jesus' name. I, I, I want to show you a picture of this in Jeremiah chapter 20, with, with the effects that abuse can have on, on a man or woman of God. In, in Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 7, It says, O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me whenever I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. See, Jeremiah was a mighty prophet of God, but he was abused. Even by those in his whole family. It says all day long people mocked him. They made fun of him. And he started to get angry at God. He says, Lord, you deceive me. Now I'm going to go down to verse 11. It says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Verse 13, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So first, he begins to accuse God. He begins to release anger and bitterness. Now he's beginning to praise God, saying, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. Then in verse 14, he says, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. And then it goes on from there. And that's what I see in, or very often in the church. People who have been abused and wounded will worship God and begin to bless Him and begin to thank Him and sing to Him. And then the next thing we know, we, we begin to walk in anger and self-hatred. You see what he said? Cursed be the day I was born. Because of what happened to him, he began to hate himself. He began to hate who he was. And that's that's one of the biggest effects of abuse. It it affects your self-image. Maybe you walk around saying, I hate myself. I hate how I look. Why did God have to make me this way? Why do I have to be so dumb? Nothing good will ever happen to me. See, people with their words have spoken stuff over you, spoken curses over you, and now you take it and you begin to speak those very things against your your own life. Maybe because you didn't have someone who valued you, now you don't value yourself. Just like Jeremiah saying, Cursed be the day I was born. See, that's the devil. He comes and he enters your thought life and begins to put thoughts into your head. Telling you that you're worthless. That you'll never amount to anything. That you'll never get anywhere. Reminding you about every failure you ever did. And then you take those very words like Jeremiah and begin to speak curses over your own life. So in Jesus' name, I just break every curse in, G- in Jesus' name. I break every curse that's been spoken over you and that you've spoken over yourself in the name of Jesus. Every word spoken against your body, the way you look, against your mind, against who you are. I break the power of those words off for you right now, right now in Jesus' name, and I just speak blessing. I I just bless your life. I bless your mind, and I decree over you that you are an intelligent, beautiful woman of God that that you, are, that you are a woman of grace, a woman of valor, a woman of holiness. I decree over you that you, are, that you are a mighty man of God, that you can do anything, that nothing can hold you back, that you are valuable. I decree, I just speak that blessing over you in Jesus' name. Don't receive those curses. See, all all the abuse that you've ever suffered, God was not in it. Even if it happened in church, even if it was a spiritual leader, God is not in abuse. God does not abuse us. God loves you. But what happens because of abuse, it changes the picture in your mind of who God is, especially God the Father. See, God is not a man. He doesn't love you one day and hate you the next day. He's not st- sitting up in heaven right now, ready to judge you, ready to just wait until you mess up so he could mess you up. That's not God. You've got a wrong picture. God is not moody. He's not happy with you one minute and angry the next minute. But let me tell you something about God. It's easy to say God loves you, right? We go around, oh, God loves you. It's lost a lot of its meaning. Let let me clarify that a little. God likes you. God is pleased with you. Even in your immaturity. Even in your weakness. Even in your failure. Even in your lack. Because God doesn't look on the outward. God looks on the heart. And he sees that you love him. He sees that you're trying. Even though you take two steps forward and you fall way back, God sees the movement of your heart towards Him. And He's pleased. When He looks at you, He's pleased with who you are. You've got to get out those wrong images of who God is. See, God loves you as much on your worst day as He does on your best day. So when you come out of church all joyful and happy, God loves you just as much then as when you mess up on Tuesday night and, and you forgot to pray. His love doesn't change. He's pleased with his children and you are a child of God. And, and you are valuable to him. You don't have to be desolate anymore. You you. The enemy cannot take your royalty away from you. No matter what's happened to you, there's value in you. I I just want to give you a secret. There's many of you that are walking in rejection, and you're thinking, oh, people don't like me. Let, Let me tell you a secret about what you're doing. You're taking the thoughts that you have about yourself and you're putting them into other people's heads. I've been a victim of that many times, especially being a pastor. People come up to me and say, Oh, you don't like me. You don't you didn't even you ignored me. I didn't even see you. But they they feel bad about themselves, they take those thoughts and they're putting them into my head. And you're doing that. Many of you who, who deal with rejection because of the things you've suffered, you, don't, you have bad feelings about yourself, and you're putting them in everyone else's head and, and thinking nobody loves you. But I, I learned something about people. People are too busy worrying about what other people think of them to worry about what, what they think of you. Stop walking in rejection. Those thoughts are lies that nobody cares about you. It's happened time and time again. Someone in church one time a few years ago came up to me and said, Why are you looking at me? You think that you're better than me? And not only was I look at them, I didn't even know they were there. I was praying. It was a prayer meeting. But you see how she's walking in rejection and taking those thoughts and giving them to me. Stop doing that. Stop walking in rejection. Walk in the love of God. See, God loves you. He accepts you. Just for who you are right now. Not who you're going to be in five days from now or five years from now. Well, maybe I'll do better. Maybe if I work hard enough, And then I'll I'll live a life that's pleasing to God. He's pleased with you right here and right now. Just the fact that you came today, that you cared enough. You cared enough about God just to get up today because you you wanted to experience him. That's pleasing to him. God wants to take away all of your shame. See, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt has to do with things you've done. Maybe you feel bad about what you've done. Shame means I don't like who I am. I'm embarrassed about who I am. The Bible says in Psalms that God takes away all of your shame and makes you, makes you radiant. He makes your face radiant. He's the lifter of your head. It's not you being humble when you go around putting yourself down, saying, I'm so stupid. I can't do anything. Oh, don't expect me to minister. Don't expect me to do anything because I'm just nothing. I'm nobody. That's fake, false, false. Humility that comes from hell. True humility says, I'm a child of God. In me, I can do nothing, but with God, I can do everything. Nothing could stop me. Nothing could hold me back. Not because of who I am, but because of God living in me. And um, I'm going to invite Melissa to come up right now. If somebody could get her um, from Children's Church. Because I I want you to hear a testimony. Melissa's got a a powerful testimony from her past. And she's been able to find freedom. And at the end, we're going to pray. And I, I believe that every one of you who desire it can walk away today in the freedom of God. We're going to break the power of everything that's been done against you. Because you did not deserve it. If, if you had a father that left you, you didn't deserve it. So Melissa is going to come up right now and share her testimony.
2: Hi, everybody. Gary asked me this week to share my testimony, and I realized... I've shared bits of it, but I've never shared the whole thing. So you know it doesn't take a lot to make me cry, so I hope you'll be patient with me. Um, right. I grew up in a town that had a lot of money in Long Island. And I had a really great family. Uh, They were in the church, we went to church. My house was the house to be, because I was the first person in church to own a house. It wasn't mine, it was my parents. So we would have Thanksgiving people from the church. I mean, my Thanksgiving was about 60 people and families that would come and we'd push back the furniture and we'd have families come over. I did corny thing like I took baton lessons and I was in gymnastics and I learned how to play tennis and I did all these things at the rec center. And my dad was amazing. I had a dad that taught me how to fish. We did gardening together together. He took me to work even before there was daughter, father, go-to-work day. And he took me. Um, he would sing with me in the car because he likes to sing. And I had a really kind of like Mary Poppinsy childhood. I really did. I was the only one. So um, they really paid a lot of attention to me. And wherever my dad was, I was. He was the one who did homework with me. He was the one who put me to bed at night. He was my world. And I know he gets mad, but I tell him this all the time, that I don't remember my mom until I was 10. I mean, I know she was there. She cooks, she cleans, and when we sang in church, she sang with us. But my mom really didn't do anything with me. She was there. But my dad was the one who, how was your day, who would actually interact with me and play with me. And I even, even, we would come home from work and we'd go to Carvel. You know, it was just, it was great. I had a really great life. And then I turned 10 and things started to change. My dad uh, started to work a lot. He would call my mom and say he was gonna stay in the city because he had to work late so he'd sleep over in the city. Sometimes he would drive this car uh, home and my mom would say, whose car is that? Oh, you know, a person from work. He stopped going to church with us so it was just my mom and I And then my brother was born 10 years later, my little brother. So I had a new brother. My dad was all of a sudden missing. And um, things just started to be different. And then I noticed he stayed away more and even more. And one day my mom came in and she said, Melissa, we're going to go to Puerto Rico. I was like, we're going to Puerto Rico. It was summertime. And I said, "Okay." And when we were on the plane, she said, Mo, we're going to Puerto Rico for the month to stay with your grandma and grandpa. And when we come back, daddy's not gonna be there. She didn't tell me why. She didn't tell me what was happening, just that he wasn't coming back. When we came back, my dad was there, which started a huge fight because he wasn't supposed to be. So he pulled me into the room. He said he was leaving for a little time because he had a lot of work to do. And then he had me help him pack his bag. He left. And I remember running into my room and I climbed on the toy box and he said, don't cry and take care of your mom. And I looked and I watched him pull out of the driveway and that was it. And so he told me not to cry, right? So I, I, I didn't want my mom to see, but guess what? I cried. And so I stayed in my room and I didn't know who to talk to because he was the one that I would always talk to. So... I just opened to Psalm 25, and I don't remember what it says off the top of my hands. But there's a Bible here, so I'll turn it. And uh, it said this: "To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul; in you I trust, O my God." And it goes on: "Show me your ways, teach me your truth." And I read that. Now I'm 10, so I don't, you know, remember a lot of words. But that first verse: "To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul; in you I trust." And I prayed, because the only one that I had was God, so, you know, that was it. But my whole life kind of changed. I wasn't allowed to call my dad. He said that the work didn't allow him work calls. When he would call me, every now and then, it was very short. He didn't visit. And then I started spending a lot of time with my mom. She was all that was left. And in the car, I would pretend to be asleep while my aunt and my mom would talk. And it was during that time that my aunt said to my mom, you know, you have to be very careful, maybe you should move. My dad had told my mother that he couldn't come back home because the mafia was threatening to kill her and to kill us. And I didn't get it. I didn't know what the mafia was. I didn't know who it was that would want to hurt us. I just knew that somebody was gonna try to kill us. And again, I pretended to be asleep, so parents, Be careful when you're talking about things and you think your kids are asleep, because I learned a whole lot like that. Well, one day, my dad did come to visit, and they started arguing. And at one point, he said, Diane. And my mom said, what did you call me? And she said, no, I didn't call you anything. I said, yeah, Dad, yeah, you, you called her Diane. Who's Diane? You called her Diane. And I was sent to my room. And a little after that, it was my aunt who told me that my father was having an affair with this woman named Diane. She was Italian and it was from there that the mafia stories came out. Um, My mother was very scared. You know, she thought they were gonna kill us. So she always would lock the doors and everything like that. And my dad started to change. He started to curse. He started to drink. He stopped going to church completely. He started to smoke as an adult. and every now and then he would visit. So on one visit, he would, he would always, when he was visiting with us, my mom would leave and he would make phone calls. And now I realized he was calling her. So our visits were usually cut short and he would go to leave. So he told my brother he would take him for ice cream, but then if he couldn't, so my brother started to cry, I said, I'll take you JR. And I'll never forget, but I walked with my brother to Carvel and at the corner was my dad. And I looked at him and in that car, he was sobbing. So even today, when people talk about how he left and everything, I know it's that image that reminds me that my dad loved us and that he really was broken even though he was doing what was wrong. And my life changed. I was 10, I couldn't go out anymore to play because my mom had to work. I was 10 and I was alone taking care of my one-year-old brother and to this day, I don't like the dark. I have to turn on the light before I go in a room because I was in a big house all by myself with a one-year-old and my mom would work a night and a morning shift. So it was really, really scary to be by myself. I couldn't have friends. My TV was my friend. I knew every show, everything, because I'd come home and I'd just watch the TV. We didn't live where the church was. We lived far away in Long Island. So everything changed. Then I went to junior high, and everything was in the open. They got the legal separation. My aunt decided to say, no, you need to reveal this to your daughter, because you remember my father kept saying, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. And one day on Father's Day, she had me walk into my grandfather's house, and there was Diane and my dad. And I gave my dad a Father's Day present, and that's how I came to know her. So it was, it was real, but my dad kept promising. And I'll never forget the Christmas when he said, I'm coming home. And he just told me, I was so excited I didn't care about the presents. I didn't because I knew a special surprise. My mom didn't know he was going to surprise her. He was coming home. The presents came and went, and he had to go. And I'm like, "But dad, you're not leaving. Oh, you're going to go get your things. You're going to go get your things." And then he just said, "Mo, I can't. I can't." And he walked away. He pro- he broke a lot of promises. He wouldn't show up when he said he wasn't going to show up. Or he would get angry if I finally left when he said he was gonna pick me up. And I was so lonely. And I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I did kind of crazy stuff just to get an attention because I was hurting so bad, but I felt stupid just saying that, oh, I feel sad because my dad's not here, or I miss my dad. So at school, at that time, divorce wasn't as common as it is today. I would do things like I became very clingy with one friend. And I held on to that one friend. Well, that one friend didn't want to be my friend anymore because maybe it was too much, the stuff I was sharing with her. And she would say things like, I don't blame your father for leaving with a daughter like you. And would, she would say really mean things to me. And of course, she didn't stay my friend, so my best friend was lost. And, but I don't blame her because I would do things like, I would tell my friends that I was going to kill myself. I knew I wasn't. But I liked it when they sat there with me and they, you know, held me or held my hand. I told them I was addicted to cocaine. I've never touched the stuff. (laughs) I lied about the things I would eat. I ate steak. I went on vacations. I had all sorts of imaginary presents and things that people gave me. Because all of a sudden we were poor. My mother had to um, pray many times that the rice would last, that food would come. She had to um, ask people to give us rides to church when the cars broke down. She um, had to endure a lot. And um, it was hard growing up where everybody had money and you didn't, so I just lied and that helped get me attention. But my mom, she was an amazing woman. It wasn't all bad because you see, in that time, I saw miracles. I saw rice last a long time as my mom prayed over that pot. I saw a mom who would pray at the couch every night crying when she thought no one could see. So thank you, mom, for showing me to cry out for what you need. The church really hurt us. We would go to church and they would tell my mom, you know, Iris, you need to lose weight that's why your husband left. You know, you need to pray harder. You need to fight for your man. You know, your children, you have to get your man because your children are gonna be all messed up and they're gonna be a mess. I have to tell you, it got to the point, my mother would pray on the side on Sunday morning. It got to the point that I would pray in front of my mother and block the whole aisle because I didn't want them to hurt her anymore with their words. I didn't want them to go near her so I would put my arm around her as if I were praying for her. And sometimes I would just sit there as long as it took for them to not come. And if they would come, I would say, it's okay, it's okay. And I determined that day that I was not going to be what those people said I was. So I stopped worrying about suicide and making up being a cocaine addict, and I became a perfectionist. I did great at school, and I put myself through college, and I got scholarships, and I studied hard, and I ran on track, and I did soccer, and I just tried to do everything to say, you see, she's a good mom. She did it. I am a good person. It's not because my dad is not there. But I'm also thankful that there were people in the church that loved us. You see, years ago, my father had given a car to the choir director to come to church because his family was out of car. He gave away his brand new car because he felt God directed him to do so. And it was that same choir director that when our car broke down and my mother couldn't afford it, he would stuff us. It was his family of five and our family of three. He would stuff us into his car, and he picked us up every Sunday. And one day he noticed that I could sing, when I was humming a song with his daughters. And he said, Melissa, I want you to sing with my daughters. And he took me in and I had sleepovers over his house. And then there were my Sunday school teachers like Sulma and Charlie and Carmen, who loved on me. There was my Aunt Jenny who would take me to Santo Domingo and and buy me little things. And her kids got really jealous. But you know how grateful I am that she would buy me those little things because they really made me feel special. And they made me feel like, because you know what? No matter what kids think, no matter how much you tell them it wasn't you, guess what? Dad or mom left them too. And you always think it was something that I did. That had I just been better, had I just been, it would have been different. But I got to see miracles during that time. And then I went to college and I was angry by that time. My father called even less and less, he was just lost. I mean, I would go visit him and I hated it because him and his wife would start to fight and it was just not the place to be. You know, I almost didn't finish college because my father was so prideful, he wouldn't write a letter for me saying that all he provided was his child support. Because they gave me a lot of grants and scholarships, but you had to be within a certain income. And I had to remember begging and begging him. So I became very angry and bitter. But you know the choir director? who taught me how to sing and who told me about Jesus and who got me saved. Well, his sister lived in the town where I went to college. And every Friday, she knocked on my door. It didn't, every Sunday, it didn't matter how late I was out, cause you know, I'm in college. So it didn't matter what I looked like. Come on, get up, get up, get up. They would slap makeup on me in the bathroom. Like they had the, all these ladies, their whole kit. It didn't matter what I looked like. And I went to church every Sunday and it was her husband, Noel, one of my favorite people in the whole world, who began to talk to me about honoring my father, loving my father. He was one of my father's best friends. And he said, Mo, someday, your father will have to answer for what he did. But when you stand before God, what kind of daughter were you? Now, I'm not talking about people who have gone through abuse or people who have been really, you know... I'm not talking about a person who hasn't had a This might sound harsh, please forgive me. But some men are not fathers. They're just sperm donors. That sounds really bad, right? Because a father isn't someone just, a father is someone who nurtures you, who protects you, who loves you, who puts you first, who makes you priority, who stands in the gap. That's a father. And I called my dad one day and I said, Daddy, I love you and he didn't respond. And I have to tell you, it took months. I began to pray for him like Noel told me. I began to um, forgive him for not being the dad for my little brother. I began to um, just forgive him and to love him and to love him and to call him. And so let's get to today. Today my dad is one of my heroes. You see, my dad, before I speak all the time, he reconciled with the Lord. When his father died, he realized that the God that he had forgotten about still loved him. I guess maybe when his daddy was gone, he realized that there was someone even bigger than his dad. And he turned back to the Lord. And I still would call him and pray for him. And our relationship was still strained. And at the beginning, after he got saved, all he would do is pray and talk scripture to me. And I would get so mad. I'm like, hello, I didn't leave God, you did. You know, like, but I let him. I just let him because I knew it was a new passion, and a new fire in his heart. And then we began to form a relationship. Now, my dad calls me his precious firstborn. I used to get mad and say, Dad, how about if I called Angela last? Would she like that? Don't call me firstborn. That makes me a number. But I think it was his way of saying that I had a special place in his heart because he doesn't call them second, third, or fourth. You know, he just says, oh, my precious firstborn. He, he leaves me singing messages. Yes, he's as corny as I am. He leaves me singing messages that, you know, I just called to say I love you. He prays for me every time I come to speak before you guys. He's the one I go to when I'm hurting, when I need somebody. When I had sinned, he embraced me and paid and gave me a beautiful wedding. When my children needed a home because they were getting sick in the basement where we were living, he's the one who gave me the deposit for my home. He loves to sing and worship God, and it's for him that I get my love of worshiping, my competitiveness, my corniness, and all my mushiness. He really hurt me and I had to let that go and through it all I know that there was a heavenly father that was surrounding me that I was protecting me there was a song that I used to hum that Gary asked me to sing it was my dad's favorite song I didn't know until Gary asked me to sing it what the words were I knew bits and pieces because my dad used to sing it all the time it's a corny little song but it's a beautiful song but I used to hum it all the time. How many believe that things can be imparted as you sing over your children? I believe that as my dad sang those songs over me when I was little, there was a reason why I went to my Bible when he walked out. There was a reason why the body of Christ rose up. And that's because I believe he imparted something in his early years. And he imparted this song in me. And it goes like this.
3: In the dark of the midnight I have oft hid my face While the storms raged above me Seems there was no hiding place Mid the crash of the thunder Precious Lord, hear my cry Keep me safe till the storm passes by when the long night has ended and the storms come no more let me dwell in thy presence on that bright and peaceful shore in the land where the tempest Never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee till the storm passes by, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Keep me safe, let me stand in the hollow of your hand. Lord, keep me safe till the storm
2: passes by. And I just have to say thank you to God. Thank you, God. I often talk of gratefulness because every year my mother and I would say, This is going to be our year. We're going to make it. Every year. And I'm thankful to say that we have. We have. And I just thank God because, like I said, He provided. He provided fathers for me. He provided food. He provided monies for me to go to college. He provided arms to hold me when I was hurting. I don't know of anybody else that could give that, but my God can. And this morning I want to encourage you that if you, there are many kids that come to church all by themselves, and I just encourage you that, to love on them, to stand in the gap for them. When you're praying for your own kids, remember them. And maybe some of the crazy stuff that your youth do, they're doing because they're hurting. And they can't say. Sometimes they don't even know what it is they're hurting about. But they're just hurting. They're just hurting. So I want to just encourage you that you can be free. God has delivered me. He's freed me. And while I am still in process of learning to love my stepmother every day, um, I gave her over to the Lord too. And I've prayed for her too with her. And it's hard. Let me tell you, it's hard. Because many times I have to be my father's daughter in secret. I have to call him at work. I tend to visit him when she's not there because uh, it's not that she's, she just takes up all the time and it's just hard. She made it very clear that she didn't want me in her life. When they said vows, he said he promised to love all other children before any others. So there were very painful things that my dad did and that my stepmother did. But God has freed me from that. And I just wanna encourage you today that God can replace like no other what the enemy has taken from you. I bless you.
1: Amen. I'm just going to close by doing something you probably heard me do before, which is I want to stand in the place of, of men in your life that have hurt you in order to bring forgiveness, in order to bring healing or wholeness. And I want to repent on their behalf. That's biblical. Daniel and Nehemiah did that in the Bible in order to bring restoration by telling you the things that maybe you need to hear today in order to forgive. So first, I just want to stand in the place of your father right now. And I just want to say right now as your father that I'm sorry for abusing you. I'm sorry that I used my hands to hurt you, to to put fear into your heart. I'm sorry as your father for sexually abusing you, for stealing your innocence, for touching you in places that I never should have. You didn't deserve it. I want to say as your father that I'm sorry for abandoning you, And for walking out of your life and making you feel that you weren't important. And for not being there for your baseball game. For not being there for your school play or for your dance recital. I'm sorry as your father for making work more important than you. For making other people more important than you. I just want to say I'm sorry as your father for speaking wrong words over you, for telling you that you weren't good enough, for telling you that you weren't going to make it, for telling you why couldn't you be like this person or that person. I'm sorry as your father for not making you feel beautiful, for not making you feel handsome, for not making you feel valued. I'm sorry as your, as your father for not loving you the way that I should have. I just want to say I'm sorry you didn't deserve it. I want to stand in the place of your stepfather. I'm sorry today as your stepfather for, for, for being jealous of you. I'm sorry as your stepfather for, for deeply wounding you, for rejecting you for making you feel like nothing, for making you feel like my kids were more important than you. I, I just want to say today I'm sorry. I want to stand in the place right now as an ex, ex-husband or ex-boyfriend and say I'm sorry for abusing you. I, I, I'm sorry as, as, a, as an ex-husband for committing adultery, for not loving you and cherishing you, making you feel valuable. I want to stand in the place as a pastor or a spiritual leader and say, I'm sorry for not not receiving the gift that God placed in you. I'm sorry for being jealous of you. I'm sorry as a spiritual leader for judging you and speaking wrong, harsh words over you. You didn't deserve it. And I bless you in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I just speak blessing over every area of your life, that you are blessed, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are beautiful, that you are handsome, that you are intelligent, and that you're going to make it, and nothing's going to stop you. Nothing in this world can stop you. I bless you with that in Jesus' name. I just want to ask for Pastor George and Michelle to come up right now. Because maybe there's some of you, maybe there's some of you, you won't have the opportunity Melissa had to reconcile with your father. Maybe you've never seen him again. Or maybe he's so drunk all the time that you can't talk to him. Or maybe he's not alive anymore. My Father left when I was five years old, and he would disappear for years sometime in the meantime I lived with a horrible, abusive stepfather who was drunk every day by twelve o 'clock, and my father was never around but when i when I got saved, I was able to forgive him, and I was there right there when he died, able to be praying for him see you But maybe there is no father. Well, God has given you a spiritual father and a spiritual mother here, right here in this church. Just as Melissa was saying, there were other people who stood in that place. And here's people that you can come to. Maybe you can't come to a father or a mother. But if you need a father's love or a mother's love, they're available to you. Uh, This is is what I want to do. I want to ask everyone to stand right now. I'm going to ask those who are leaders also in the church to come up. Please. Pretty please. With sugar on top. Oh, here they come. And if you'd like prayer for any of the things that we've been speaking about, if you need healing in your heart, I just want to invite you up. Or or maybe you just need the love of a father today or the hug of a mother. Pastor George and Michelle are available today just to give you the father's blessing or a mother's blessing or a father's hug or a mother's hug.